Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. This is actually a little bit more of the interview that Bren Jones of uh, Cloud 259 uh, had of me. And there was more. We, we get off. Again, it's unscripted. So not all of it's about sports cards, but some of it is. And some of it's interesting uh, to him or to me. And so just uh, putting it out there. Uh, thanks, sponsors. Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, Compsy.com. Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Panini, Upper Deck, and Tops. So thanks, Bren. Thanks, listeners. Hope you enjoy. And as always, if you've got uh, questions or comments or suggestions, uh, Dr. James Beckett at gmail.com. Just send them to me or see me to show. Uh, plant the seed. And uh, again, I'm doing an episode every day, so I've got a lot of a lot of uh, opportunities. So thanks, everybody. And thanks, Bren. Here it is. I love Vlad Guerrero. If I can get that rookie refractor card, I feel a connection um, to that player. There is something to that that is real. Well, to my earlier point, Vlad did not emerge until he got fit. Mm-hmm. Vlad Jr. Mm-hmm. Vlad yep. Jr. Yep. Had, you know, was yep. just, he's uh, coming on strong. Yeah, I think it's okay. When I was running my company, we had a lot of people we hired that had that had collecting background or sports background. But if, if I had a shot putter and a sprinter, and a hurdler and a distance runner applying for the job. So wisdom is take the distance runner. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> because Interesting. they have a, a steady, consistent commitment. They're just not getting up for the big race or, again, the intermediate hurdler, the most grueling race, perhaps. But show me a marathoner or a distance runner, and every morning they're waking up and getting out there, rain or shine. <laughs> That's interesting. So, you know, I think it, they've, it all they've dep- done well in school because they have a deferred gratification and they just are going to stay the course, be consistent. Perhaps in social media, as we think of avatars, perhaps every collector should have an avatar. Are they a sprinter in their collecting pursuits? Are they an intermediate hurdler, like a steeplechaser that's that's running in the muck and and just sloshing around, or are they a you know a distance runner, a marathoner that's just going to keep on uh, plugging, or are they like a shot putter, discus thrower where they're just going after the big giant cards? <laughs> so, I like that. Could we safely uh, characterize you as a marathoner then? I'd be a marathoner. That's right, <laughs> long tail and enjoying just how it all unfolds. I think distance running training does help in the day job. If you're talking yes. specifically about sports, if you're grading cards eight hours a day, five days a week, whatever, then I think a distance runner is actually a great applicant because it does take exactly. endurance. And in fact, I experienced that in my day job. I, I am a copy editor and run production uh, for a financial publisher. There are days when there are a lot of stories and it's a grind. It does help. The distance running background helps. That said, if you wanted to throw some really fun parties, maybe the the hurdlers or the sprinters (laughs) might be better at organizing that. I know that distance runners, these long races we do are usually in the morning. So we sort of party in the morning, but it just depends on what task you have at hand. I I would agree. The real athletes, if you look at the best athlete in the world, it's frequently heptathlete for a woman and a uh-huh. Catholic for a man, it's just pretty amazing because to have the the strength and speed and endurance and all that stuff and, and spring in your step, just the, the bounce. Uh, I think you have you fast. fielded, am I the first person to come to you with what about track cards or has this been a question that has been in the well, hobby for a while? You're coming at it in a different way because there are a lot of people that are less into it than you who are satisfied mm-hmm. with Sports Illustrated for Kids. And the occasional inclusion of somebody in a multi-sport set. You're thinking like a publisher. You're thinking like mm-hmm. a producer. That why doesn't somebody 
do something that's a bigger statement. Because yeah. until you do what you're talking about, until Tops or Upper Deck or Leaf even or Panini, if they jump in, they're going to do or, or Fanatics, they're going to do it in a way that promotes the whole sport. What has happened heretofore is just yes, there's an Allison Felix card, but it's not part of a larger set of female track and field athletes. And, mm-hmm. and you, know, you can't look for next year, this person is going to be in the set and that'll be her first card. If one of the card companies were to make a commitment to the category, there'd be sponsorship opportunities, promotion opportunities. And I, I see it as win-win. I would love it if one of the big card companies made a commitment to the category and secured the group licensing rights and, and made it happen, given that they know how to make cards and they've got the cardboard and whatnot. Failing that, if none of them did, What would be the barrier to entry of a Cloud 259 trading card set or say if Let's Run was interested in it, they're the main hub on the internet, for a a publisher from out of the main group to come in and create? Again, it's mainly about distribution. It's not not hard to make cards. It's sometimes Mm -hmm. hard to get all the players and the participants to Mm -hmm. to sign off. And so if you were strongly Mm -hmm. connected, there may even be a a charitable aspect to it. Some of the card companies have realized a, a charitable tie-in for some of the versions is positive as well. If you were able to line up the athletes and say, we have them in our stable, we have their agreement that we're their agent, then Tops could take it from there. If they weren't interested, there's other smaller companies, uh, but mm-hmm. it's all in the distribution. Podcasting doesn't have to be a number, but print publishing is. You can't just print one copy of a book. It's right. If you can't print 100 copies of a book, you don't make any money until you do a whole bunch. So, yeah, that's that's the final cards. You want to print enough that you can get the presses rolling because you don't even break even. And so that's the distribution aspect. And tops can call up their retail outlets and their distributors and say, we have this product. How much are you going to take? It's not necessarily forced distribution, but it's encouraged distribution to get it out there. So there'd be a benefit to going with an established card producer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But they would see the hurdle, to use a track word, the hurdle of all the steps of lining up the autographs and and when are the players going to be together? And they all going to agree to this? Do we have to talk them into it? You got to reduce the friction. If you reduce the friction for them and they say, gee, all we got to do is come in and just take the art that you've already got. And here's the event where we'll be able to get our signatures, where they're all right there. I think that part, getting all the athletes in the same place, getting the signatures, seems not that difficult to me if USATF and the representation among the track athletes is sorted out because there are these events. They're going to make money. money They need to see it as doing it for the sport. And it it needs to be win, win, win. And My final pitch from the collector standpoint is that I would assume that the print run on the first set would be fairly low, given that you don't know what the demand is. But that actually increases the potential value. It just seems like there's a tremendous opportunity. Uh, here. There's even opportunities for the shoe manufacturers and some of the other major sponsors within the sport to get behind. Again, distribution is a thing. And if, if you overproduce it, that's bad. If you underproduce it so that it doesn't seem like it's a mainstream thing, then that's not so good either. But if it's too boutique-ish, it really needs mm-hmm. to be. This is the set where you, you need some publicity and it, it can't be overproduced. You need a a manufacturer that understands that has some discipline. But again, if it's a multi-year contract, you're saying we're trying to create something that's going to promote the sport for a long time. And then, of course, we haven't even gotten into the NFT yet. I don't really want to get into the NFT. So I know, but again, that that, that could be part and parcel of this. Once you, it could. You're right. They're digital cards. 
and you don't even have to produce them other than yeah. capture. Yeah. And there's a blockchain. So there's some cool aspect to that. If, if you were the intermediary, you'd want to retain the rights to that too. And yeah, I, I think all top Spanini, Upper Deck Fanatics, all those are thinking about an yeah. NFT play as well. And track fits it just as well. It's, when I got back into geeking out on baseball and football cards and trying to hunt down some track cards a few months ago, I, I was at a gas station and I went inside and I thought maybe I'd see a pack of cards. There are no cards there. There's no cards at the 7-Eleven. How come I'm not seeing cards at 7-Eleven these days? As a kid, that was my entry point. They've almost gotten priced out of uh, the 7-Eleven mm. kind of concept. It's a fine line between overproducing and underproducing. To drive people into the card shops or to the card shows, that's not a bad thing. But it, I, I'm hoping there'll still be some mass retail availability. And I think they're all studying that. On the other hand, like mm -hmm. we're saying, if track and field had something, they could fill the void. On the other hand, what people have done now, they go into the Walmart, and if there's product there, that means that's not the good stuff. <laughs> because it was the good stuff, it already be sold out. So much of card collecting is counter-instinctive. If it's yeah. there, I don't want it. If you don't have it, I want it. Yeah. So walk in that line, and this is new, and it's mainstream, but it's not overproduced. That'd be great. One thing I wasn't able to ascertain digging online is, do you have any running into your own background? I, I never was good at track, but I was always fast in sports. Here's what I was. I was an endurance sprinter. Mm -hmm. My whole thing in football, and this is touch and flag and city league and stuff like that. I'd just be a receiver and I would just sprint down the field every down. And the, so maybe good 400 DB, meter runner, 800 DB, meter runner. DB would just think the, the DB would run with me a few times, and then after a while, I would wear them out <laughs> because they didn't know when the ball was really coming. So I had deceptive speed, and I had enduring speed. So I was just as fast in the fourth quarter. Yeah, running in circles was not my thing. Not my thing. Running to something to get to the ball before somebody else. I I love that. I played. Outfield, I covered a lot of ground. I I backed up bases. I, I I hustled a lot, but I wouldn't win a track race. But I could get around the bases really fast. I had some inside park home runs, and I had some touchdowns where I got behind people. So all right, I think you're a miler at heart. Well, perhaps I, I hated the mile. When I was in middle school. They run the mile, and I was in the army. Run the mile. I hated that. <laughs> and my times weren't great. I qualified and all that stuff, but it's just I want to chase the ball. <laughs> so track is great, but it, you know I was too busy doing uh, other sports. I think right. basketball. I caught so many people from behind when they had snowbirds. I just thought they're slowing up, and it was just fun. But to run as hard as you can for 100 meters. That sounds like a chore, but to have a burst. So I had a burst. Yeah. All right. I'm on the treadmill give every us, single day, but I walk with a weight vest. So give our running listeners some advice on how do you maintain that consistency? Because that is something no, 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 that's let really me, let, me, I'll, let me do that both. One of the reasons I have consistency is because I think it's therapeutic. And I think there's some additional benefits that your listeners may not realize. I had a near fatal heart attack. 25 years ago, I started and, and I weighed the same, I've weighed the same thing for 45 years. I, mm -hmm. I haven't changed weight, but I had apparently more stress in my life than I realized. Okay. So 25 years ago, I started going on the treadmill. I had a heart attack. I don't want to have another heart attack. But a funny thing happened. The first 10 years I was on the treadmill, I was uh, jogging and I put it on the incline and I was watching TV. So I, the time went by and I'd get real sweaty and take a shower and go on my way. 15 years ago, I changed. Not, not only was I a little bit older, I thought I've had some different treadmills. The one I have now is like a woodway. Okay, which mm -hmm. is parabolic. And so yep. you provide the, the impetus. 
what I've done for 15 years now is I wake up every morning and I, I put on my 30 pound weight vest. And instead of walking on an incline, which I found after doing that for so many years every day, I got off the treadmill and walked on an incline with my leaning forward, which sort of mm -hmm. seems interesting, except you're shorter. I was literally <laughs> an inch shorter from walking with a posture that had a forward lean in your neck, in your shoulders, in your back. Huh. And so putting the weight vest on and walking uh. flat, and you can walk four miles an hour and sweat because you got a 30 pound weight vest on. Huh. And so you walk for 45 minutes, you get off the treadmill and all of a sudden you take off the weight vest. And not only you're not hunched over, you're thinking, I'm tall. <laughs> I'm actually feeling more fit and, and my posture was better. And so I actually was measurably at the end of those 15 years, an inch taller than I was at the beginning because all those wow. times of walking. So anybody that wants to be taller, walk regularly with a weight vest. So there's a posture of running, but walking with your shoulders back and on the woodway, on the elliptical thing. I don't know if you've done that, but if you lean forward, you start going pretty fast. In fact, you go really fast. And if you lean back too far, you'll fall down. You'll fly off the back. And yeah. so you've got to have that flat posture. And so it's been a blessing to me. So I feel it's been therapeutic and there've been other benefits. You look fitter, you feel fitter. And, and then you get the reinforcement of wanting to do it every day. People say, hey, have you lost weight? I've not lost weight. So when people say you've lost weight, that's the body positivity. So it's, I'm not mm -hmm. Hercules or anything, but uh, so that's my tip for your walk softly yeah. and, and wear a big, big, big <laughs> vest. Take it off and I can conquer the world. That's fantastic. In fact, posture is something that I've often thought about and wondered how to improve too. So well, everybody, that, yeah. again, that's part of the body positivity. You show yeah. me somebody that's overweight that has good posture. I'm not sure people are going to perceive it the same way. Yeah. Show me somebody that is arguably overweight, but they have great flexibility. Same thing. It, you don't get that same vibe. But somebody yeah. that's really sedentary, that is not flexible, that has bad posture, it's hard to be body beautiful when you're like that. That's just my social statement. The man in the house of cards. The man in the house of cards. The man in the house of cards. Is doing.